show where Louise shows me, a relative noob to the world of extreme cinema, um, two really bizarre fucked up movies, and then we talk about them for an hour. Yeah, and I think that today, especially, we didn't exactly watch something that was too fucked up, because no. we've kind of been on a hell path, and there's certain things that I have lined up that I think I need to space out, because if I'm just having Aoife come over every week and have to watch movies with uh, people throwing up and fake snuff films, then uh, I'm going to lose her interest at some point. Uh, and yeah, just keeping the flavors fresh so that it's not, uh, uh, yeah, so that we're not going over the same ground every week and, and also not having to do the uh, we're not fascist conversation every episode. I know. How how weird is that? We have to keep affirming yeah, that we're not I, fascist. I um, but like, okay, so even though I said what I said in the opening, we did watch a movie that's all about binging and pussy this week. <laughs> so uh, I'm pretty excited. Yeah. So our first film is, uh, do you want to give the full title? I do not is, have the subtitle in my notes. It is Matthew Bright's 1999 masterwork. Freeway 2, Confessions of a Trick Baby, which was initially just Confessions of a Trick Baby, but of course the producers were like, it has to be Freeway 2 because we got to make some money off this fucking insane <laughs> movie you made. And I think it lives up to being Freeway 2. Uh, you have not seen Freeway. Eva, no, but it's, I have not. It's one of the best movies of the 90s. Like it's, it's, Matthew Bright says that, um, especially of his work in the 90s, he made um, movies for psychopath girls. <laughs> and that defines me really well. So I'm a huge fan of Matthew Bright. Um, he's a, a pure sicko pervert <laughs> whose whole MO was making uh, young women do crazy shit on camera. And Freeway 2 is kind of the masterpiece of that. Um, okay. Freeway 1 is is objectively like a great fucking movie. Like it mm. is it is like a classic of the 90s, mm. in, in my opinion, as a insane psychopath girl um but he also stars a writer he wrote uh forbidden zone and he wrote one of my absolute favorite full moon movies dark angel the ascent mm. which doesn't really fit the mo of the podcast but i might get you to watch anyways okay. because it's like yeah the thing about matthew bright is he's one of those guys who just makes literally me core cinema where he, okay. he writes movies about really fucked up girls who kind of have these like weird journeys sometimes there's a love story sometimes there's not um, and I'm just truly obsessed with, with the work that he's done. And, um, this movie kind of, uh, killed him, oh. uh, in, in, in a sense. Cause, cause Freeway 2, when it wasn't successful in the way the first Freeway was sort of this like cult hit on home video and stuff. And I, I, I can see why. Um, whereas the first Freeway is kind of supported by just like, very amazing that like late 90s production value and like just like really hits that cultural moment so well freeway 2 is kind of this like carte blanche for him to go like even more fucked up yeah and 
the production took a lot out of him because mm. he shot the movie here in Vancouver, which, like, how's it feel getting to watch a Vancouver movie? Uh, that... I mean, it happens all the time. It, 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 it's not that uncommon an occurrence. It's just so infrequent that it actually feels like Vancouver. Well, but, but what's funny is which that is... this movie is, like, kind of set, like, in California slash uh, Tijuana. Yeah. And they'd make no effort to hide that it's Vancouver <laughs> at yeah. all. Like, it is yeah. so obviously it, Vancouver. It's just such, like, dingy rain beaten graffiti concrete pacific northwest core it rocks yes it, it um, totally rocks and, and it really captures just how big of a shithole vancouver is uh the original skid row so like uh, you uh you, you you said something while we were watching it that i, I quoted everything looks so good here because everything is so shitty all the time yeah <laughs> that's exactly it it's why we always stand in for new york Yes, um, and and sometimes that works yeah. pretty well. Occasionally, and occasionally. Um, I mean, nowadays I think we stand for Seattle a lot of okay. the time. Uh, but one of the things that's most fun about the Freeway Two production is that it was a, as Matthew Bright described it, it was a war between him and the crew, <laughs> where like he had like a couple of supporting crew members who like got what he was trying to do with this movie. Yeah, but like everyone else like fucking tortured him. Yeah tortured Natasha Lyonne, yeah. like, like fucking screaming at each other on set. The crew was calling the cops on the production saying they were exploiting minors and all this stuff, <laughs> like, like trying to get it shut down. They would like intentionally sabotage scenes and like not do shit like properly. So they'd have to go in for pickups. Like, truly like an, a heinous shooting experience, <laughs> which makes perfect sense mm. considering that Vancouver is like no fun city. It's like, I, shooting here, it's like, it's so funny because like this was made in 1999. Yeah. And when we were doing yeah. our crazy underground films and like trying to build a community around that here in Vancouver, it was like next to impossible because the city just doesn't have the taste for this type of content, yeah. which is weird because like Vancouver is such like a fucked up city. Yeah. It's that, such a trash hole. Yeah, it, it totally is. And it, it, it's weird to me that you try to make this movie about um, vomit and pussy and, um, you know, people have a huge problem with it. And, like, uh, one of my favorite stories is, like, when they're doing, like, the puke bucket scene where all the girls are, yeah. like, binging and purging into this, like, fucking, like, laundry bucket. Or, uh, sorry, mop bucket. Um, <laughs> it's, like, so good because, like, crew members were throwing up, like, oh off camera because they were so disgusted. Oh, my God. And I'm, like, that's the dream. Mm. That's the type of movie I want to make. <laughs> I want to make, make my crew mm. vomit. Um... But Freeway 2 is, like, kind of this, like, weird little um, masterpiece of, like, the home video era. And the reason I wanted to cover it is because it, it's kind of, like, a higher budget tier than a lot mm. of the stuff we're going to talk about. Because it's, like, it's an underground movie in spirit that yeah. had the sort of means, because Matthew Bright developed such a good reputation in the industry, that he was able to take his sicko perversions to, like, a pretty legitimate level. And, like, Natasha Lyonne was, like, so game. Like, she was one of the producers on the movie. Mm. Like, the two of them come out and make Freeway 2, Confessions yeah. of a Trick Baby, and it is, like, the masterpiece <laughs> of, like, literally me core <clears throat> cinema. Like, yeah. I, I love this film. Yeah. I am Natasha Lyonne in that movie. <laughs> no, and she is so hot in this. She is, like, the, the, the fits. Every, I feel like every time there was a fit change, we were just, like... Where do you get that? Where do you get that? Where do yeah. where to cop? Where to well, cop? Well, the film kind of does the like tank girl thing, where it's like every scene has to have a different costume. Yeah, and like Matthew Bright says that they had to basically do the wardrobe themselves, and it's like really funny because like they're dressed up as like such fucking like criminal skids, like uh, Natasha Leone and her co-star, 
and supposedly they would like get kicked out of bars and restaurants in Vancouver where they'd like walk up and they'd be like, sorry, we're closed. Like you can't come in, Um, which is that rocks. That's how you make a movie. That's like so cool. So it speaks to that like quiet social conservatism in Canada that goes so under uh, under commented on. Yes. Like if anything is like disruptive or like impolite, it's automatically like, oh, get that away from me. Well, and it's funny because, like, you you look at what this movie's trying to do, and, like, yeah. there's a history in Vancouver <clears throat> of, like, filmmakers who were trying to do, like, kind of these crazy <clears throat> things who ran into a lot of trouble. I always ran into a lot of trouble. Yeah. Ryan would run into trouble with, yeah. like, the cops getting called on us. I know the Soskas had similar experiences mm-hmm. where people were always fucking with them when they were making their movies. So it's, like, it, it's just kind of this, like, weird environment here, but it kind of makes the movies more interesting. Because yeah. if you're at war with your crew making a fucked up movie the energy translates onto screen because yeah. like freeway two is insane. It's yeah. an insane movie and it's offensive. Like, yes. like it, it, extraordinarily it, it, so in places it's mind blowing mm. that this movie exists. Yeah. Um, because it's, it's full of slurs. Yeah. It, it's every, every moment it tries to up the mm. edginess and it, yeah. it, it's kind of, we were talking about this afterwards. If you make a movie that is purely edgy, you get so quickly desensitized to it. Yeah. That, by the time we're getting to the insane, like, Vincent Gallo playing a trans uh, nun being, yeah. like, outed with the, like, she has a pecker, like, yeah. moment. Like, She's you and a I, man! Yeah, you and I weren't even, like, phased by yeah. that point. It's like, it's like the movie's just been, like, lowest common denominator the whole way through. Yeah. So it's like, how am I going to be offended by this moment? And just the fact that it's Vincent Gallo playing yeah. a trans woman nun is... Oh. Who's running a child I... pedophile sex ring <laughs> is like, hmm. it's incredible. It's, it's so tasteless. Yeah. Uh, no. And it's, it, it's running in such a like proud lineage of like, it feels like a, a, a film from the seventies where it's just like, okay, we can do this now. Let's go just all the fucking way. Like this is going to be playing in porno theaters. Like, fuck it yet somehow like with a budget and happening on home video instead like it's sort of a miracle that it exists yeah and it's kind of an interesting era right because like if you look at the other sort of like really weird edgy movies coming out at that time like look to what tron was doing like they're doing um these movies in the late 90s like terra firma which also has like a good trans twist like thing that people were offended by at the time and um What's fascinating to me is I remember talking to Lloyd Kaufman because, like, we were doing a trauma festival that yeah. I helped co-organize here in Vancouver. And we flew Lloyd out. I remember me and him were, like, smoking a blunt outside. And we were, like, I, I asked him, like, hey, what do you think of this whole culture cancel culture thing? And this is 2015. Like, yeah. this is, like, pre-Trump. Like, this is, yeah. like, this is a pretty, like, proto, proto yeah. iteration of this sort of conversation. And, and it's funny because, like, Lloyd kind of said to me, um, like oh, you should have seen how it was in the late 90s. It yeah. was way worse because people had to actually like leave their homes to get mad at you and yeah. stuff like that. So like they, they had faced like a lot of like picketing for, for their movie. So it kind of makes sense that the crew would be so like offended by this movie. And that's one of the things that's interesting about Freeway 2's sort of like reputation going forward is it was only embraced by like these sort of psychopath girls. Like yeah. Matthew Bright even talks about how it was all like <clears throat> girls in like juvenile detention centers and yeah. shit who were the ones who would be <clears throat> writing him fan mail. Yeah. And um, it, it's kind of like this fun idea of like, Bright says it himself. He's like, 
everyone always wants to get the teen girl demographic. Yeah. Like, that's, like, something that's so important to Hollywood. And then here he is coming in as this, like, fucking 50-year-old man writing this, writing and directing this, like, absolutely insane movie about these two psychopath girls on a crime spree. Like, literally, this movie's coming out right after Columbine. Yeah. And it's, like you know, it's going to be embraced by this, like, fucked up girl audience, like myself, where it's like, this is, like, perfect cinema. Like, yeah. like to, to that sort of demo, right? It, like, no one makes movies for weird girls. Like, yeah. You know? And, it, I mean, it's proof that the bit works, that, like, that's who it was able to get through to. Like, you know, because so much of that kind of, like, teen runaway, like, women's prison kind of stuff is, like just so straight up softcore, like so built for for the male gaze. And like the fact that like the the fact that something like this just, you know, is able to cut to the demo of the people who are actually in it is sort of spectacular. Like Well, it, especially because Matthew Bright's coming at it as this like old man pervert yeah. who wants to get these teen girls to do fucked up shit exactly, on camera. Yeah. But it's like hmm. there's it's weird that he captures such an honesty to that. Like yeah. like having a movie about like this girl who's like a binge and purger, like, holy fuck do I connect yeah. to to this film, right? Yeah. It's like who else is making a movie that like puts it in this like kind of weird aestheticism where it's like you, you can hmm. kind of like it, it's like palatable to yeah. like watch as a movie where it's like it, it's kind of treated like this it, it's serious to the narrative but it's like presented kind of like almost like flippantly right yeah where it's it, it, it's all a joke yeah right? and it's almost like a rebellious thing that they're doing like it, it's the equivalent of like petty crimes and graffiti for them to be binging and purging and it's all this like group collective activity like there's so much comedy from around this period that is just like men mocking women for having eating disorders and it's so fucked but in this context where it is already just established of like this is a cartoon reality and how cool they kind of make the characters in doing it it becomes this like cathartic like you you know like Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Relatable. Yeah. Relatable. Yeah. And, yeah. and that even proceeds into, like, the way lesbianism is treated in the film, right? Yeah. Because, like, with Matthew Bright, like, he's doing it this, like, male gazy way, but yeah. you capture an actual, like, the way it builds up between the two lead characters and, like, their kind of, like, playfulness and that banter and, yeah. like, the way Natasha Leone's character, white girl, like, moves forward and progresses more and more into it yeah. and like when you finally get the moment where the two characters hook up it's like actually beautiful you've got yeah. like this like great like fucking girl pop <laughs> playing on the soundtrack yeah. and like it's 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 a weird little movie that's like kind of brilliant for what it's trying to do even though it is like sick pervert core yeah and it puts you at such an ironic distance with like how disgusting and offensive it is in in the early run that like by the time it actually like gives you this like real emotional core it really cuts in a way where you're just not expecting it at all well you end up caring about these two yeah, characters who are so a much. fucking bulimic and a serial killer <laughs> and like you care about the relationship that like when it ends in this like very tragic sort of way it's like it hits like yeah. like it's actually telling the sort of like very epic story and like so much happens in these yeah. 95 minutes you know it's like actually <laughs> mind-blowing like it's a little episodic but in a way yeah. that's like always progressing forward and has like a very like high octane sort of like 
they're on the run, so we're yeah. trying to get from point A to point B constantly. And once they settle in with yeah. Vincent Gallo as a trans woman, yeah. it's like the movie just enters like pure insane mode. Like it's it, and also just like the hindsight applied to then seeing Vincent Gallo playing a trans woman is like the most brilliant edgy joke you could have. <laughs> like like the the amount that's been added by cultural context and history of yeah. like how we now perceive Vincent Gallo <laughs> and his politics. It's like fuck having him playing this trans girl like. Uh, pe- like who's running a pedophile ring <laughs> is so funny. Like it's 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 comedic to the like like it, it's so offensive to the point of it like hitting this extra level of just like entertainment. Yeah. Um. At least for me as a psychopathic girl who like loves to watch like fucked up movies mm. like when they're like fucking like when she ends up with like the wicked witch like face and yeah. like is being pushed into an oven and you were like. This is a fucking this crazy is... image, and I like you know. Yeah, no, that that still made me that that was like, uh, and I mean, again, it's sort of when you're talking about this kind of like super trashy like camp exploitation, it like I'm glad that there was a moment where I was genuinely actually like. Oh my fucking god! I can't believe I'm looking at this when they're putting her in the oven. It's like. Okay, so they're putting the 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 groomer trans woman <laughs> into a fucking oven, <laughs> like nightmare. Well, like, and it, it's great because like they're doing this like Hansel and Gretel retelling yeah. where instead of candy, it's crack cocaine, yeah. and uh, instead of the witch, like yeah. trying to fatten them up to. Well, they she's still eating them. Yeah. She's also a can- yeah, yeah. So she's a cannibal yeah. groom, like. Oh my god! Like yeah. I'm surprised con- conservatives don't say this is their favorite movie, but it's too edgy for them. That's yeah. the th- that's the funny thing about like transgressive art is it's yeah. like it becomes great because it's what Matthew Bright accomplishes with this movie, and one of the reasons why it's even better today mm. is it's almost in hindsight lampooning the craziest shit that is said about like yeah. us. You know, like it's taken to that like literalization on screen where it's so fucking ridiculous yeah. that it it becomes. For me, there's like a paracinematic like in- entertainment to that, right? Yeah. Where I'm like, it's so bad that it becomes brilliant. It's it's kind of like the same way that it's the type of thing I was expecting actors to be, mm. like when when we all watched yeah. it together initially, and then that's a totally different movie than that. Yeah. But like this is that movie. That was what I was expecting. <laughs> like I was expecting the like absolute like parody of this to the point of like I'm so offended that this is like actually entertaining. Yeah. Uh- let alone getting into the film's portrayal of Mexico as this just like debauched wasteland where the the main character does literally say shithole country at one point it's it's tough <laughs> um but again it's those moments where it like transcends to a point of like holy fuck like it's equal parts edginess and heart yeah it's like natasha leon's character can be saying every fucking slur in the book going through this and like the performances are like that sort of turned up to 11 core where everyone's just insane the whole way through the movie and it's like because it's this hyper reality or like hysterical real like reality that they're in yeah um you end up with a situation where um, you kind of catch up to the wavelength of the movie at a certain point. Yeah. Like, it, and it happens well, and quickly. It, it's the kind of thing that, like, getting offended at it is, like, getting offended at, like, the, you know, like a Looney Tune or something. Like, it's so well-intentioned, and it has no, like... It, it so obviously has no malice in its heart. It, it's just 
being really fucking dumb. Yeah. And, and like, <laughs> you kind of just, you kind of just go like, okay, yeah, all, all right. No, 100%. Another joke tossed at the wall, all right. Well, and, and, and it's because, like, every line is, yeah. like, built on being offensive. Yeah. Like, it, and, and it's such a barrage of that stuff where, like, everything is insane. But then it's got this, like, amazing aestheticism to everything going on. Like, yeah. Like, we were talking about the costume design. It's... Like, literally, when Natasha Lyonne ends up with, like, the fucking bleach blonde hair. Oh, God. And it's, like, going around, I'm like, this is me. Yeah. This is what yeah. I'm transitioning to look like. That you know? montage. Like, it's incredible. That montage when they're walking around the market when they first get to Tijuana. I'm dream. Dream. I just want to hit the road and be, be, be cute lesbians and do <laughs> wear little outfits like that. That's pretend to be sex workers and then beat up men. <laughs> That's the the dream. Yes. It's, Agreed. It's, it's so it, it, it seems it's so, so ethereal and, and, and so you know beautiful. There's and something about I, that like anti-establishment nature of yeah. it that that is kind of this wish fulfillment, especially for edgy yeah. girls like us, yeah. where you're like watching this movie where it's like this. It, it's told like a fairy tale. It's yeah. like it's like a fantasy of like what if I was not inhibited by anything? Yeah, and like not even inhibited by a fucking law. Like yeah. I, I can outsmart the cops every time. Yeah. I can like always get away and. It's like the one of the best parts is that like Natasha Lyonne is also kind like even though she's insane, she's also kind of the straight man within the world she's in. Yeah. Um, where like her frustration kinds of kind of comes out, but her frustrations come out because of how crazy the situation she's yeah. in. So like yeah. she's constantly like, "What the fuck are you doing? Why did you Why did you kill that guy? Like, oh my god, why is this happening?" Um, like like she's mm -hmm. so skeptical, but. The funniest thing is she's also apathetic to it where yeah. she's like, it's like a lost girl narrative. So she's still just kind of letting all these events happen to yeah. her and like just trying to stay together as best she can. And it's she, amazing. And she starts so fucked up, but the degree to which the world around her is so fucked up is just so incredibly amplified that she still sort of gets a corruption of innocence narrative over the course of it. Like <laughs> Absolutely. And, and, and one of the funniest parts is that no institution is viewed as... Like, like as uncropped, like yeah. when the cops are showing up in yeah. Mexico, they're just like throwing a roll of bills at the cops <laughs> to get information, yeah. and like uh, the her like district mm. attorney is like receiving fucking like hand jobs in the courthouse and <laughs> yeah. stuff. Like no, no institution in the movie is taken seriously, yeah. and I think that's one of the things that makes it work is it's like this whole world is insane. And I mean, at the end of the day, that's just what Vancouver's like. So yeah. there you go. Yeah, and it is this like. A vision of anarchy and of just like total release from order and structure and responsibility and anything just pure like hedonism pure pleasure and like the degree to which the movie like you said is so aestheticized is so like like saturated is so pretty looking like both has this weird juxtaposition with how horrible some of the shit you're being made to look at is and but also just again just drives that heart home so hard you do kind of want to live in this horrible horrible world yeah. it, it it's literally just wish fulfillment for edgy girls it's like yeah. oh what if i could just hmm. like completely escape society and like <laughs> go on a hmm. fucking crime Bender. spree with my yeah. friends yeah. and like do whatever i want and like hmm. You know, when she talks about, like, throwing up and stuff, there's, like, a yeah. pleasurable aspect to it and all this stuff. But then yeah. it's, like, tied to trauma. And, like, the whole movie is kind mm. of about, like, trying to disentangle mm. the things that have traumatized you as a kid. Yeah. And build it up into, like, finding 
some degree of like acceptance in yourself like it's it's like there's a heart to yeah, the movie and, and it's remarkably optimistic in its conclusions to like what this like revolutionary kind of movement does like where she gets to walk off into the sunset cyclona dies tragically well, and... but but in, when cyclona dies it's yeah. like a beautiful romantic moment between yeah. them where she like like natasha leone's character hugs cyclona yeah. and like like her character white girl is like it's good you killed your parents yeah and she's like no one's ever said that to me before and it's like this yeah. really fulfilling full circle moment in the movie it's really beautiful and, yeah and it comes all the way back around again from like oh, these people are the most fucked up people I've ever seen in my life. Let's gawk to I understand you. Well, and that's the best thing about a movie like this is if you can create an edgy movie where you can sympathize with the edgy characters who are like, you know, yeah. doing this insane behavior that like you would never support. Yeah. That's a good movie. That's the power yeah. of filmmaking is like, let's present you with two problematic, fucked up women characters and see if we can get the audience on their side. And yeah. like, he succeeds. Matthew Bright, like, makes one of, to me, the coolest movies of the 90s. And it like really caps off 90s film because you have such yeah. a huge shift after that. Everything ends up a lot safer post Columbine. Mm -hmm. This is kind of one of the last hurrahs of this type of filmmaking. Yeah, didn't you say they received the MPAA license the day before Columbine? Hours before Columbine. Hours before. Like, like they, they got the R rating mm -hmm. hours before Columbine. And you think about what would have happened to this movie yeah. oh and how much God. it would have had to be fucking cut. Like, it, it's insane that they got away with it. It might, like, might not even get to exist. Like, yeah. uh, we were talking about this last night, the, the way Battle Royale was banned for years. And it's like, that movie is so tame compared to shit that was still getting sold. And it's like, just 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 the Columbine thing. Just the, the, the next couple of years. You didn't want to, you, you didn't want to create any copycats. Uh, yeah, because this movie is also really fun. And yeah, that's kind of the thing about is... it. Is it's, it's, it, there's a gleefulness to all yeah. the insanity that you're experiencing. Yeah. And that's 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 why I love the movie. Like, like yeah. I think that Matthew Bright's right. It's made for psychopath girls. And like, there's there's really not a lot of films that fit the bill that like Confessions of a Trick Baby does. Like, yeah. I, there, there's very few movies I've got to experience in my life that are that sort of literally me core cinema where i can see like a severely broken girl with blonde hair and like who's going on this insane journey you yeah, know and, and and it's a redemptive journey too it's really beautiful yeah and where it gets to be silly and gets to be fun at the same time as it is like you know uh, cathartically portraying how nightmarish the world around you is yeah and, and i think one of the things that's most interesting about it too is yeah. when we look at where movies go, especially these types of films, like I, this is like more establishment than underground, yeah. but made in a way that kind of makes an underground movie because of the problems with the production and like him fighting everyone along the way to get it made, right? Like this is like very like mm -hmm. tourist edge yeah. core cinema. And you look at what happens after, right? You end up having a more political angle coming into future underground mm. cinema and future edgy core movies yeah because this is kind of the last hurrah for that apolitical like john waters-esque like yeah. you're making comparisons to it's, 70s films it's like, extremely it, female trouble yes it, yeah exactly and yeah it, it, it's a fun thing where a movie of this period and this is really the last hurrah of it could be edgy in a way where you're trying to upset everyone 
And then after that, you kind of start moving in a very, very different direction, as we've discussed in um, our last episode <laughs> and uh, the first episode of yeah. the podcast. Yeah, where you do kind of get this creeping in of, yeah, uh, of this, like, dark right-wing component that says, like, yeah, wink, wink, offending everybody, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. So you can just do hate speech, and it's fine. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge, lol, lol, right? We're doing... Well, because at at a certain point, you end up with movies like Hate Crime or stuff like that, Mm. I mean, like the the early 2010s, where you have, like, oh, let's have, like, a bunch of neo-Nazis do a home invasion movie, and they kill a bunch of, like, Jewish people or, like, minorities, and, like, like it's it's lost that apolitical offensiveness because it's trying to do something that is, like, as I said about Caller, you're making a movie that is... um, kind of upholding the status quo of the establishment. Yeah. And, like, that's kind of where films end up progressing after Freeway yeah. 2. So this kind of really is a movie that caps off a certain sort of playfulness in this sort yeah. of filmmaking. And we see over the next 20 years stuff moving in such a profoundly kind yeah. of sad direction, honestly, where to be offensive, you have to, like, you know, approach cinema from a place where you're trying to, fucking trigger the libs or you wind up having to like add a caveat to your offensiveness where you have to really hammer home that it's satire if you're doing satire or you really have to target your satire in the right direction in a really careful and intentional way that ends up feeling didactic yeah and and i really think the only person who really stuck it out and it's just because he'd been making movies so long and was never going to change the way he made movies is someone like lloyd kaufman yeah like you look at toxic avenger 4 which is coming out like around Mm. the same time he never loses that energy going forward up to like even like shakespeare's shitstorm Mm. where you can have like an absolutely insane movie about the perils of cancel culture but it's like you know told through like trans characters and weird counterculture people and like it's it's made in a way that like as i kind of wrote my castration exploitation article um is is done in a way that that has that equally offensive quality where like you can piss off everyone and that kind of makes it an entertaining experience and, for someone like myself. Yeah, and everybody is kind of chipping into pissing off everybody together. Like yeah. it's yeah. Cuz the best way to approach these movies is from like an apolitical left, right? Like yeah. like that's the thing whereas you have like fucking outsider weirdos making these types of movies like usually just sick perverts. Yeah. Cuz like, you know, the best movies are made by sick perverts yeah. cuz all directors are perverts. Yeah. And to, to make, like, a sick pervert movie that has that apolitical nature, just because you're an outsider sick pervert usually adds this sort of impulse. Like, the whole idea of doing these types of films should be to make stuff that would piss off, like, the Christian right, right? Exactly, So, yeah. like, that's your ultimate goal, is to make something that is, like, anti-establishment yeah, with these right. types of movies. And Freeway 2, to me, is the epitome of, like, the best fucking way of doing it and kind of, like, is the last hurrah for what we were getting out of, like you know, the, you know, the promise of like the seventies through to the nineties. Yeah. Know? And then things change. Yeah. So on to our second film, um, we watched Avalon Fast Honeycomb. Um, explain your background with this to me, because I, I'm, I'm, I'm curious about the pairing. I'm curious about how you okay. how you got into this how you met avalon all this stuff. well me and avalon met at fantasia because we yeah. were both there right okay. so yeah <laughs> i mean like, it, 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 very very simple story and, and me and avalon yeah. are both like weird edgy girls who yeah. just like 
love movies yeah. and like are totally insane in the type of stuff we like to make as well as like to watch. And um, the reason I wanted to pair this is because I'm like, hey, here's this like outsider girl movie yeah. about like girls on the run going away from society and just doing their own thing yeah. from 1999 shot in Vancouver girls living outside society's shit yes exactly yeah. and then we have the modern equivalent made in like the last year yeah that is the movie that really is like kind of paying off like how to do this now yeah and guess what? It doesn't have all these like really bad compulsions that a lot of these other outsider underground movies have where it's telling an absolutely brilliant, interesting, singular story that is a tied into like where it's shot. Like, I I, I mean, it is such a like British Columbia core movie, Island core, especially the, the Island is such a great vibe for a movie. Like uh, I spent uh, a, a while out there last summer and like, it's so funny because you go to like you go to like Victoria, very exciting. Lots of cool shit happening, lots of cool people. You go to Nanaimo, lots of cool shit happening, lots of cool people, lots of stuff going on. And then you go to like every other town on the island and it's just like you're in the most beautiful place in the world, but there's nothing to do. And so you just get high and you go to the woods and then you get high and then you go to the beach. And then you're kind of done with that town. You've been to that town's woods. You've been to that town's <laughs> beach. You're kind of on, you're, you're on like day two staying over and you're like, yeah, no, I think it's, think it's time to move on to the next town. Uh, what, just when you're traveling through, like, I can't imagine like how much more that would deepen that like inherent sense of teenage on we like, if if you're just getting high and going to the beach, if you're just getting high and going to the woods again and again, like well, and that's what Honeycomb's about. It's <clears throat> it's the 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 <clears throat> opening of the movie is the girls are sitting <clears throat> at their skate park, yeah. um, watching all the boys skate, and then they're talking about how they're gonna do their hair this week yeah. and like what like not just do their hair, but specifically like oh, dyeing in a new color. Yeah. It's like that idea of like teenage rebellious change. Yeah, and then they go and say no, 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 let's do something way more radical. Yeah. And that's what kicks off Honeycomb, which is a movie about a group of like girls who are just out of high school who decide to go start a commune in the woods. Yeah. And they they set up their own society out in the woods that is built on this idea of eye for an eye. And uh, what, what do they call it in the movie? Uh, it's like... Uh. Uh, suitable revenge. Yeah, suitable yeah. revenge. Uh, so it, it, they built the society based on the idea of suitable, suitable revenge and also like um, having to share every thought with each other. And yeah. so as you can expect, it does not go well for this group of girls. And it's a truly like brilliant little movie. Yeah, no. And it's such an immediate and relatable feeling that like first summer out of high school where you just have this experience of like, you've lived in this tiny little box for your entire life and now you are free. And you feel like, oh, like I've mastered this little world. So I'm gonna be, you know, the master of my surroundings. Every single, you know, everybody I know has this process, I think through like 18 to 20, where you just like go out in the world. Yeah, I'm gonna do it. And then you just get, beaten down your expectations are just stifled at every turn um 
I, as someone who also immediately started living in like queer anarchist sublets the second that I started getting, uh, you know, that I turned 18, it, they do turn into this kind of nightmare really quickly. You're just kind of like, uh, you don't know how to handle conflict. You don't know how to talk about anything. You all have very strong principles that are all sort of based on theory rather than practice in in their entirety. And you do just hurt the fuck out of each other. And that's what this movie is about. And it's it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking and beautiful in the way it just so clearly portrays that specific horrible fucking moment of coming of age. Like, just the, the, the 18 through 20 total disillusionment with reality, period. Um, where, yeah, you and your friends just tear each other to pieces yeah absolutely now i want to read a little passage here from uh, my friend kayla janice's book yeah. this is the of women about honeycomb which she says i believe girls mm -hmm. of a certain age are susceptible to magic belief systems and then talks about how in this regard the transgression at the climax of the film is perceived as a lack of devotion to the spiritual endeavors of the hive and thus suitable revenge ensues mm. so what, what i love about the movie is like they, they even talk about masonry and yeah like they do and yeah the movie and like this idea of structuring around this like there's so all these conversations about beehives yeah. and, and things like that and like yeah. how to structure society and like the boys even have this conversation about how it's like, oh, when everyone rebels, they just throw the queen bee out, they yeah. kill her, and then uh, move on, right? Yeah. So there's this sort of, like, very, like, fucked up nature where at the end of the film, everyone is so, like, not invested in the commune anymore, <laughs> but they've gone so deep that yeah. they have to keep it going. Yeah. And there's this sort of implication where this new girl who shows up is like... Mm. A doesn't know the history of them yeah. having just like accidentally murdered yeah, it's one of the girls dark through secret that's revenge. inevitably going but, to come out. But and like mm -hmm. and also there's like this weird spiritual magical quality where they're like, "How did you uh, find it?" And she's like, "I just followed the sound," yeah. you know. And it's like, yeah, it's like this very like spooky like there's this like weird masonic quality to what they're building. Yeah, and it's like genuinely fascinating like they, they have like a picture of this woman up in the in the house that's just already there and they yeah. say oh that's our our like kind of mother like uh patron figure yeah. like they're just like making shit up until it becomes an ideological spiritual system yeah and it's it's kind of brilliant yeah it's it's the story of a failed revolution like people still do this all the time especially i'm sure on the island with all the like hippie shit out there where it's like you know setting up a commune living off the grid doing collective living and, and it's so funny because those kinds of situations so frequently wind up produ reproducing the exact hierarchies that they are kind of built to try to subvert. You take people out of a, a particular society and a particular set of expectations about what people are and how people should behave, and then you put them into like this new, new ideological construct, and those old assumptions, those old base subconscious kinds of like patterns of behavior start showing through and they bash up against the ideology in a way that winds up with just these nightmare scenarios where if like you read about some of the uh, communes in the 60s like they would end up having like sex slaves and shit like just because like 
they were trying to produce a new world while still being trapped in the psyche of the old world. Yeah, exactly. And I think that that's one of the best things about the suitable revenge concept Yeah, is none of the revenge they do is actually suitable revenge. No, it's always wildly disproportionate. <laughs> exactly. Um, because it's like, oh, um, she slept with my boyfriend, my ex-boyfriend. Yeah. I feel stung. Yeah. So it's like, oh, let's like cover her in bees. Yeah. And like, it's like so funny. And, and even like they're planning without letting other people know that they're doing the suitable yeah. revenge. Like it becomes these like, little alliances between certain girls and yeah. like it it's just like such a weird dynamic that gets created throughout the film now yeah. one of the things i want to talk about is the style as yeah well. because yeah. like i remember telling avalon <clears throat> after <clears throat> the fantasia screening i remember <clears throat> being like you made a godard movie yeah because it is yeah. it's like it's like a modern like girl godard film it's yeah. fucking incredible um, it, like you said, it's a uh, remake of La it's, it's a La It's a remake of La Chimois, which is a remake of my university experience. <laughs> <laughs> um, but like Avalon as a filmmaker is like, honestly, one of the most promising voices that we have in yeah. cinema right now. She's making movies like this totally outside the fucking system yeah. and just going for it. And her voice is so experimental while yeah. telling like these brilliant narrative works. Yeah. And you look at a film like Honeycomb, it has these extraordinarily bold editing choices. Mm. It, it's pacing is like exciting and new and yeah. like, uh, like it really does call back to like the sixties, right? Like yeah. it's like the promise of like, Hey, all these people who love movies are now given the tools to like make movies. And yeah. like nowadays it's, it, it this is the promise that we were supposed to have with the digital revolution yeah. and like the doc democratization of film. Yeah. And one of the things that was worse about the democratization of film is that the establishment still picks what movies mm. get seen. Yeah. And so you make a weird outsider art movie like this, like you need a fucking champion. So like, thank God for someone like Peter Kaplowski, like being mm. like Avalon, you're like the most talented person in the world. Like I got to get this movie out there and help you out. Yeah. And it's like, without those sorts of tastemakers who are also like kind of crazy and cool and like know their shit really well. Yeah. Um, we wouldn't be getting films like Honeycomb to have like this actual sort of like mainstream acceptance. Like this yeah. is still a total underground outsider movie. Only the cool people have seen it, hmm. but like it played at great <clears throat> festivals, right? Yeah. Like it premiered at fucking slam dance. Yeah. And it's one of those things where if you're making a movie that's as like structurally bold as Honeycomb and you can get into slam dance, like that's, mind-boggling to me yeah like this is this is one of those important movies of the fucking 2020s so far because mm. it, it's really the promise of you can go make something extremely radical and actually like get it out there and like find success with it like yeah. the fact that it has these scenes where the girls are just like talking to the camera yeah. and like you're you're always playing with like where the like the fourth wall is sort of like established yeah. is just remarkable it's yeah. so good and I, I can't highlight enough how talented Avalon is like this is this is a brilliant film yeah no and some of the sequences are just so gorgeous like the party scenes are just like it, yeah just just spectacular and beautiful and fully capture that feeling of that freedom like you feel that sense of just like I'm 18 I'm it I'm in bliss like there's nothing but hope and hope and optimism before me. Well, and then what's interesting mm. is once the boys kind of point out how insane the girls are, yeah. you get like actually a really interesting turn yeah. where like the lighting ends up in these like extremely stark like mm. red fl floodlights yeah. sort of like like red gel mm. floodlight sort of lighting out on the patio yeah. in front of the house and you're like 
watching that scene it's like oh like now this like sort of sense of dread and and like like it's starting to creep into the style as well yeah and then you have these like very gorgeously slightly overexposed like exterior scenes like it looks like saying like go go second time virgin where Mm. you're like shooting in this like very harsh sunlight out in the middle of nowhere and it's girl like it's very like um uh, Virgin Suicide's core of just mm. like you know girls out yeah. on blankets out in the like woods you know yeah. it's just like remarkable it's a yeah. beautiful film um I wanted to talk about uh, this movie in the context of return to nature narratives um because this is something I'm kind of obsessed with is um you know there's a there's a long and difficult philosophical history with this idea of nature and, and of um, it kind of goes all the way back to like Mencius and Junshi, uh, who were like Confucian scholars, um, who had this thing of like, is human nature good and society corrupting, or is uh, society corrupt, or human nature is good, society corrupts it, or human nature is evil and society educates it into goodness, and the whole kind of again the whole like island hippie vibe has always kind of bothered me because it is very much like a human nature good, society corrupting kind of assumption. I tend to fall on the other side of that of, of that spectrum, which uh, I, I will explain. Um, but like, uh, you know, on the one hand, there's lots of ways in which living in a city and, and living in like a super densely... Uh, like interdependent kind of economy sucks and like takes advantage of you and takes advantage of your instincts in ways that just like crush your spirit and destroy you but on the other hand the idea of there being like this totally fixed self uh, and this idea of like base like this this like base beautiful nature to which to return to is really essentializing really kind of weird and fucked up and allows the person speaking to project a lot into that idea of what we once were in ways that can be really toxic um like how much harm would you potentially cause like trying to return and like would it be possible to return to that innocence if that innocence is something that's been made up by somebody who lives in a fucking city on a computer fantasizing about not living in a city on a computer like i don't know i i find the hip- whole like hippie thing fascinating and like the like um oh, what's that movie the like chris mccandless thing um you know where the guy like runs off into the woods and it's like i'm tired of i'm tired of modern life i mean i guess it's the walden thing all the way back yeah, but walden there's like the more thing, there's call, the more call the wild or whatever that yeah, one. yeah yeah into the wild into, the, into wild, the, wild. the wild yeah 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 i always hated that kind of thing because it is like at best sort of a masturbatory well, but that one, fantasy but, but he of, dies like, yeah 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 <laughs> no 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 but 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 like it's based on his account of it and like people love to fantasize about that kind of shit but it, it always felt to me like I have this, like, deep, like, sin of modernity inside of me that I'm trying to purge out. Well, Grizzly Man's the same way. Yeah, 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 exactly. But those people are, like, martyrs. They, like, die for the cause of that. Whereas, like, in reality, a lot of the time, it's just people who are, like, 
you know, like, relatively privileged, using this as an opportunity to, like, excise themselves from their guilt about participating in a bad world, Yeah. you know? Well, and the, the thing I always think about is, I mean, like, to go out and do your hippie commune and all that stuff kind of requires some degree of privilege yeah. to, like, detach from... Exactly. The, it's fucking expensive to get that sh- get the infrastructure for that shit set yeah. up. And, and that's um, one of the things that's interesting about Honeycomb is yeah. that they just find this house out in the woods and set it up where it's like, hey, we don't have to pay rent. Like, it's actually kind of a scene in the movie as a solution yeah. to their sort of, like, ennui of, like, working these very monotonous summer jobs yeah. and, like, that sort of stuff. And they talk about, like, oh, well, I mean, like, what am I supposed to do? I mean, like, my... my the, the culture of the island says that I turn 18 and I should move into the city. I should go to Vancouver yeah. and I should go, like, start my life there and then, you know, like, kind of leave my hometown. Like, yeah. sort of, like, you know, typical, like, growing up nature, right? So, in a way this radical choice is to almost like regress in a way like it's it's such a rejection of like what you're supposed to do and by by ending up in this situation where the girls are kind of building their own society separate from it they they end up with like a very juvenile belief system like the eye for an eye thing is like is is such a juvenile choice and they Hmm. treat it so unseriously yeah. like you're literally cutting a girl's eye out yeah and uh because mm. she broke someone's glasses yeah and it's like yeah it, there's such a like simplicity to how they're handling the structure of of their commune totally and like i find all of that that whole idea of that regression really interesting because it is this thing that sort of crosses political borders where like you have left-wing people who who believe in this like pure thing that we have to uh, to to go back to in the woods and you have right-wing people who are really scary who yeah, going to wanna... build their militias out in the woods. <clears throat> yeah exactly um, um uh, but like what's so which cool... are both pacific northwest core yeah 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 absolutely. it it no this this region of the world really just attracts that that mindset because again it's the most beautiful place in the world but there's nothing to fucking do yeah um and what's interesting about it is that the girls come into the into the commune with no ideology. Like it's not they're not doing that on purpose. That's just the only narrative offered as a counter to the like clearly very depressing road of exactly what's been prescribed every well, step of the way. And what's funny about it is is their justification for coming up with the rules yeah. is like man, I mean, this would turn into pure chaos if we yeah. didn't have rules. And it's actually funny because it probably would have been better if they didn't have rules. Yeah. Because, yeah. like, it turns into chaos at the end, um, which is still, it's, it's more of an apathetic chaos. Yeah. Like, what ends up happening is is they kill one of the girls by accident with one of these, like, sort of revenge schemes. And yeah. um, it's just kind of treated very, like, flippantly. Like, the, yeah. the girl's sister's crying. Yeah. And that's all we really get. Yeah. And that, but she's still there. Yeah. She doesn't leave. Yeah. Um, so it's just like... Well, and they wind up ending up in the exact same situation that they began in, which is existing in a, uh, like, in a structure that they recognize is really shitty, not really doing anything about it, not really having anything to do inside of it. And and the new girl is playing with her hair with the knife. We're just back to talking about our hair by the end. Yeah. Like it's, it's, they, it's full it's spinning wheels. Yeah. It's they, full circle. But now it's, now there's like a higher sense of danger. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, but maybe there should have been a high sense of danger when they were in the small town, when they were in capitalism. 
Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm uh, just literalizing um, the stakes a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but um, yeah, it's it, it's it's such a, a brilliant piece of art, and yeah. I, I highly encourage you to see it because not a lot of people have like taken the time yeah. to watch this movie. And it's like truly one of the best movies. No, there. and again, I, I like again going like way off into the 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 high philosophy of it. I do want to draw it all back to like I found it very personally relatable and very moving in that way of like it it's it's it feels like the part of coming of age where you believe that everything is possible and your 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 borders of the possible just start to slowly shrink and shrink and shrink and shrink until you understand why all the all the you know grown-ups around you are in a little box because now you're in a little box yeah yeah and i think it was hmm. the perfect pairing with freeway too because there are very hmm. similar stories told in extremely radically different ways yes and it really speaks hmm. to the 25 years that separate them yeah well and i think it's so interesting that you know as you say that um you know one of these is sort of from the end of this era of total anarchy and the other is sort of placed within this weird new context of navigating out of the underground, having gotten so fucked up. Yeah, like, this, this is a promise of a, of a new future. Like, yeah. honestly, in, in, in years we'll be talking about movies like Honeycomb and stuff coming out at this period, that was the promise of how to really challenge the status quo and build this new underground. And like, this movie is is brilliant for what it accomplishment accomplishes yeah and it, it really is the promise for a brighter future with these types of movies well and i was gonna say it's so funny the the optimism of the ending of the movie uh, of the movie in 99 and then the uh, or the optimism of the really fucked up movie versus the pessimism of the like comparatively tamer film is 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 funny yeah it's it, it again it feels like the slow um well, What's Honeycomb... that Mark Fisher line? The slow foreclosure of the future. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, because because hmm. a lot's changed in the last yeah. 25 years. But at but... the same time, we can still make movies about cool outsider girls doing crazy shit. Yeah, and it's it, it was a very fun double feature to watch because it's very cold right now. And they're both such summery movies. I just wanted to be hot. I just wanted to. Yeah, it's snowing to, outside right it's now. It's snowing outside right now. We're all cuddled up. We're we're all cozy inside. Yeah. And uh, and and isn't the, what, here's a, here's a good question. Yeah. Isn't it one of those fun things about doing this podcast with yeah. me is that we can watch the movie and then go hang out with Avalon immediately afterwards. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we it, all went and saw a Firewalk with me at the we, we movie did. theater I late at night. Barely slept. I'm. I feel like I got hit in the head with a brick today. <laughs> um, yeah, no. So, yeah, I guess in conclusion, um let's go on a road trip and do a lot of drugs and uh s say it's for feminism, I guess. Can I kill some people? Yeah, kill kill as many people as you can, Bessie. <laughs> I'm yeah. definitely the Natasha Leone in this relationship. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm s are, Oh no, are you going to kill me? <laughs> She's giving me a look. 